0: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro recharge kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And welcome into another edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. I am your host, Jordan Schusterman, joined as always, or I guess not as always, by only one of the dynamic duo.
1: I usually join you. I I usually join you. So you could say, as always, about me.
0: That's true. That You have joined basically every time uh, besides when you were uh, gallivanting in Europe. Jim Callis, welcome to the podcast.
1: Yes, if I'm not in Slovakia, I'm on this podcast every week. So <laughs>
0: You know where to find him. You know where to find Mr. Callis. Our friend Jonathan Mayo uh, is uh, all over... Phoenix for the Arizona Fall League, uh, and our, our schedules did not line up for this recording. Uh, we're also going to get in some Rookie of the Year chat, as well as some rookie performances. We'll talk about some sleeper names in the Arizona Fall League, and leave you with an interview that Jonathan did with Forrest Whitley. But before we get uh, back into the AFL mania, let's talk about Jim Callis. The Rookie of the Year race is uh, coming to a close here. And it, it seems to be kind of crystallizing. Uh, you mentioned uh, before we started recording, there is a poll on MLB.com right now, uh, polling some of the 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 .com staff and, and writers and reporters uh, on all the major awards, including Rookie of the Year. And you participated in this poll, Jim. Uh, that's, is, is, that, is that correct?
1: I, I do. Every week I'm compelled to uh, participate in this poll by the uh... – the MLB.com overlords, and I'm happy to do it. And, and in fact, this week, the final week, we had to vote on all three awards as opposed to rotating like we do during the season. But uh, so I, I gave my top five in six different categories.
0: Okay, okay. So we're not. I uh, n- no offense. I don't really care uh, who you picked for Cy Young, uh, assuming you didn't pick uh, Mike Soroka. And I guess we'll we'll start very simply with who did you vote for. And uh, I think the, the the number one spots are are fairly obvious in, in both leagues. But I guess I'm more curious how you filled out the rest of your ballot. So if you want to go ahead and reveal who you who you put in in, in for this poll, and assume it won't change in the last week, but but maybe it will.
1: Well, they're not going to have us vote again, so my, my 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 vote will not change. I think there were thirty four of us, or I guess people voted in different categories. Not everybody voted in every category. Looking at this article, but um, everybody who voted for rookies of the year voted for the same two rookies of the year, and Jordan Alvarez and Pete Alonzo, which I don't think is any great surprise. Um, I'd be shocked if they didn't win the awards. They both had historic seasons. Um, As we record this, I believe, you know, great friend of the podcast, uh, Pete Alonzo, Has 50 home runs. Is that where he he is right now, Jordan? He's two away from tying Aaron Judges.
0: Yes, he's exactly uh, at 50 with a little under a week to go. So he's still chasing Aaron Judge, but 50 is still a lot of home runs. Yes.
1: And then I know I have not updated this stat, but when I wrote my always much maligned article on the future values of the current rookie crop, Jordan Alvarez, in baseball history, he's 22. This is the 80-22 season. When I had last looked with players who had as many plate appearances as he has, right, his ops is over 1,100. His ops plus, which compares it to the league and adjusts for ballpark, was the fourth highest, fifth highest of all time <laughs> behind Ted Williams, Bryce Harper, Ty Cobb, and Mike Trout, which is pretty nice company. Um, and I think he has the highest ops in the American League since the Astros brought him to the American League so I think both those guys are going to win those awards in a landslide
0: yeah I think it's uh pretty comfortable and you mentioned Alvarez and I when we discussed this last week uh, I brought this up how uh he was putting up you know comical video game numbers uh in AAA as many hitters were and we were like oh well like obviously he's good but you know what's and he's he hasn't it really has not slowed down that much. Maybe his AAA ops was over twelve hundred, but now it's over eleven 1, hundred. Um, he has truly been uh, remarkable. But but let's let's talk about the rest of your ballot because I know you know it seems like these two are going to be uh, the runaway actual winners. But there are there have been so many good rookies this year, so people uh, may be interested to see how, how you filled out the uh, the rest of your ballot.
1: Yeah, when I filled this out, um, I guess it was about a week ago. I had in the American League, I had Brandon Lau of the Rays second. He's had a nice year. He's been hurt a little bit. You know, John Means, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. You know, I think this is probably going to wind up being his career year when all is said and done, but it's a nice year. I had him third. um, And then I had Luis Reyes of the Twins fourth and Kevin Biggio fifth. Now, it seems like since I voted on this, I feel like Eli Jimenez is homered in just about every game he's played, it feels like. Um and he's got thirty home runs now. Um so if we were playing along, let's say he hits another couple home runs this week, I could see maybe sliding Eloy Jimenez onto my ballot. Um if I were redoing that today, maybe over uh, Biggio. And then the National League. You know, National League, it's interesting. If you were lining these guys up for one award, I think the National League might claim, you know, something like seven or eight of the top ten spots on the ballot. But behind Alonzo, I had Mike Soroka second, um, Fernando Tatis Jr. third. I thought those were both pretty obvious. And, and Tatis Jr. might have given Alonzo a run for it. He stayed healthy all year. And I had Brian Reynolds fourth. And I went Victor Robles fifth. Although I could also see Keston Hira being fifth also. It's just it's where you want to... How much you want to weigh defense versus offense, offense versus defense? I think, but there the nationally battle was tough because there were a lot of good players to put on there. You know, I didn't have Chris Paddock on there, and, and he's a guy who could have belonged on there. You know, Dakota Hudson won, more, like I know wins. Yeah, I don't want Brian Kenny to come after me, but like hasn't Dakota Hudson won like 16 games this year as a rookie? I right, mean, he's had a nice year too.
0: Yeah, we, it's all right. I won't tell. Uh, I won't tell BK about your your citing wins on, on a public forum. But yeah, no, I mean it's it's, it's true. There are a lot of a lot of gosh Hey. Sandy Sandy Alcantara was an all star.
1: Yeah, so, there's a lot of options you could go with here. So
0: yeah. uh, Brian Reynolds, of course, they got, yeah, Paddock. I mean, he he came out of the gate really strong. I felt like the first month it was before before Tatis all the, all the rage was uh, was Paddock, and he then he got shut down for a little bit. He came back. He's been solid. But but no, I, I think you're definitely right. I mean, the, the the depth of of the race in National League is is truly tremendous. And I think like even if Pete only had like 40 homers, I think. This would already be more of a conversation, but he's pretty hard uh, to overlook at this point. Uh, So,
1: well, the crazy thing is, I mean, Mike Soroka has. I think Mike Soroka is he might be leading the majors in ERA plus, you know, ERA adjusted for his ballpark, which is pretty, you know, as a rookie, which is pretty incredible too. Um, So it's it's just it's it just goes to show you what kind of year Pete Alonso's had, and that I think in most years we'd be talking about what a landslide Mike Soroka landslide winner, Mike Soroka would be, and he didn't get one vote from any of the 34 of us who voted in our, in the MLB.com poll. And then he got hurt. So it kind of took him out of consideration, but if he hadn't been hurt, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. would have had, you know, maybe a year that would have been a landslide, you know, this year. He is, he is more war per 162 games than any rookie this year. I mean, if he, if he'd stayed healthy all year, he was on pace for like an eight war season, which is crazy. And his his line, uh, his ops is the second highest ever for a shortstop his age or younger, which is twenty. And the only guy better than him was a Rod. Yeah,
0: the Tatis. I mean, he felt like he had so many like highlights and crazy base running and like. It almost really just watching him play in general and the highlights he was producing was somehow obscuring the actual numbers he was putting up, especially for Padres team that really obviously ended up disappointing a lot. Um, and of course, early in the season too it was just a lot of Machado talk. So I agree, Tatis was amazing. Uh, one more thing on Alonso before we move on to a couple of the rookies. I, I mean, look, I, I know the, obviously the ball's been flying, we have record number homers, but is this this still seems like even more than? the best case scenario for, for Pete Alonso. And is there a chance that this is a career year? It's it's hard to imagine him getting really any better than this. Um, or is this really kind of what the, the the best case scenario is for the giant hulking right-handed first baseman?
1: Well, I, can I say yes to kind of all that? I mean, yeah, I mean, because look, I mean, I like Aaron Judge, but I don't think Aaron Judge is ever going to hit 52 home runs again necessarily, is he?
0: Which of those two would you bet on hitting 50 again?
1: Yeah, and it's funny because they both like on both those guys too. We had them both ranked in the 40s on the top 100 going into the rookies' year, rookie years, and we got a lot of heat from people on Twitter and elsewhere saying, "Oh, how can you have the guy ranked so high? There's so much swing, swing and miss." Um, well, I, I, I guess I would say, well, there's recency bias, but I mean, Aaron Judge has hit 53 home runs the last two years combined, and he's three years older than Pete Alonso is right now. So you kind of have to go with Pete Alonzo, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, the injuries have obscured what Judge is capable of. And I think ballpark-wise, you obviously are going to lean Judge there. Um So maybe in the neutral side, it's closer. I think I would lean Judge, but I, I don't know. I don't know. 50 a lot of home
1: runs. It's interesting. I mean, it's definitely close. But but getting back to what Pete Alonso can be, I mean, I feel like it's like when the Rockies first started playing and we knew – you know, when they moved in the course field and, you know, I forget where they played the first couple of years, but I know it was a different part. But anyway, we're like, hey, we know these numbers are jacked up, but these guys still have to be good because these numbers are really jacked up. And, you know, I wonder if they're going to make an adjustment to the ball at some point, And then we're going to look back and say, man, 2019 was crazy. Like, like, you know, whatever. So, um, but I, I did, I mean, I don't know if I ever envisioned Pete Alonzo as a 50 home run hitter, but I did think like, he was as good as just about any power prospect in the minors you know, after last season. I mean, the guys hit for power everywhere in the minor leagues. And I mean, you 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 know, you read any story you read about Pete Alonzo. I mean, this guy wants to be good. He loves baseball. He works at it constantly. This isn't just a guy who swings as hard as he can and doesn't know how he's doing it. And, you know, is he a good defender? No. You know, I think he's tried to make himself into a better defender. But, um, you know, I think, what we're seeing is this is a combination of a guy who was one of the best power hitting prospects in baseball and a ball that's like ridiculously jacked up as much as it's ever been. And you add those factors together and it equals 50 home runs.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. And as and mentioned, like, Oh, you never envisioned him being a 50 home run guy. I mean, you don't really envision anybody being a 50 home run guy. Cause like, right. He, it's not like he wasn't getting the, you know, the top power grades and you, you're still never going to project 50 homers on anybody. So, um, I think that's totally fair, and I think that uh, we'll see. I mean, I think forty seems like a safe bet. He's 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 sold me. Like I, I don't think he's going to suddenly think twenty again. And I think Aaron Judge. I think a healthy Aaron Judge is hitting forty in a full season pretty easily too.
1: I mean, we're, we're living in an era where you, Eugenio Suarez has hit forty-eight home runs, right? So I have right. no idea what to make of any of this. So is that your is that your one? You know what Eugenio Suarez's career high was in the minor leagues for home runs? Like eight? It would be ten. <laughs>
0: I mean, I mean, do you have a favorite, like, oh, my God, he has X number of home runs?
1: Well, here you go. Eugenio, Eugenio Suarez hit 41 homers in his minor league career <laughs> in 572 games, and he is 48 now. So that's good. That's a good little fun fact. Yeah, it's just like, so like I don't know how to interpret any of these numbers. No, I
0: get yeah, It's totally you, – you, you are – you are totally uh, totally fair there.
1: But you know what? I, I'll throw this out there here. Here's my great cause for concern. I do feel like MLB kind of has to address this at some point because it's gotten ridiculous. but here's the problem. you aren't like you aren't gonna be able to address this with precision. Like you can't just say it's not like a video game where you just move the slider over. like, like oh, oh hey, that we, would be
0: so convenient, wouldn't it? We like
1: to reduce home runs by, say, is the optimal number. But, like, the problem is you have to guess from a physical standpoint of changing the ball, hey, if we raise the seams by X or we increase the size or soften the pill in the middle by X or we wind it, the ball, you know, a little bit, you know, whatever percentage less tight. Like, what happens if you err on the other direction and you cut home runs by, like, 25% and now we have – like batting averages at all time low and strikeout rates at an all time high and nobody's hitting home runs. And all of a sudden, all the games are like two to one or three to two with no action, you know, with like 17 strikeouts a game. That's going to be terrible, too.
0: Right. And it felt like that's like where we were heading too, uh in whatever.
1: Yeah. So like I'm I'm concerned, like I don't. This isn't just a solution of okay, we'll move the slider over to eighty-eight percent and we'll reduce home runs by twelve percent. Like it doesn't work that way, and we could totally screw things up.
0: It is a it is a challenge. It is a challenge, uh, but we will we will see. But hey, look, uh, I'm twenty nineteen. We we had the well, what sixty six hundred dingers or something, some something, something crazy. So uh uh, and fifty of them courtesy of Mister Pete Alonso. Now I do want to touch on a couple of the rookies uh, before we move to some AFL chat. Uh, a couple of rookies. Who knows? Maybe if they had been up all season, maybe they would have hit 50 homers, too. I'm talking, of course, about Mariners outfielder Kyle Lewis, who became the first player in Major League history to hit a home run in six of his first 10 career games uh, after only hitting 11 home runs in a full season. Now, Kyle Lewis was a first-round pick back in 2016, the first of the Jerry DePoto era, and uh, a lot of injuries have slowed his development. He tore his ACL uh, in his his pro debut uh, season in Everett, and then he was out, and then he had more injuries. And so this was his first full season in 2019. It wasn't a bad season, but um, if you look at his double A numbers, you certain you certainly would not expect anything uh, like this. Uh, now, I will point out, uh, as someone who follows the Mariners rather closely, if you look at his home road splits uh, in the minors, he kind of had a, a reverse course field problem. His his uh, OPS on the road in the Texas League was like 300 points higher than at Dickie Stevens Park in little rock. Um, but still all that, all those caveats aside, no one saw this coming. So where are you, where are you kind of add on, on Kyle Lewis as a prospect? Have you, I mean, again, we, we don't have to talk about the ball anymore because you you can bring it up in every discussion about, you know, offensive prospects nowadays, but I mean, this is, it's not like this isn't encouraging. Do you kind of maybe recalibrate what we, what we might've thought uh, of, of what Kyle Lewis could be?
1: Well, no, I'd say encouraging is is definitely the word I would use. And it's funny because Jonathan's not here. And who knows, Jordan, he may not even listen to this podcast, so he won't hear me say this. But when he got called up, Jonathan and I were talking on Slack. And I was like, man, I don't understand why they called him up because, you know, I mean, he hit 263. He had a 741 ops, struck out 152 times in 122 games. Like seems to me like he might struggle in the big leagues. And, you know, why not just wait? You know, rather than like, what if he comes up and has a, a rough time of it? And then that leads to more questions. And Jonathan talked to somebody in the system who brought up what you just did about, oh, you know, Arkansas is a tough place to hit. He had hit much better on the road. And I think the real reason they called him up is he finished strong. And they wanted – they needed another outfielder, another hitter, and they wanted to reward somebody who finished strong. So I could see all that, and I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm not – you know, okay, even if it's a tough place to hit, his at home was like 580. I mean, you still – have to hit at home at some point. Um, So anyway, I was a little skeptical. I was like, "Ah, I'm not sure they called him up. And But that said, I'm glad to see him doing well because we had a, a really bad knee injury in a collision at home plate during his first pro summer, which... When did the Buster Posey rule come into play? Was it not in play in 2016? I thought it was. I think
0: it was. I think it was in play. I mean, I assume that that, that
1: it was a weird yeah, it wasn't even like, like a collision. A, like, it was
0: basically trying to avoid a collision. So.
1: Right. It was like a weird slide and maybe trying to avoid the guy. But yeah, in any case, yeah, it was it it was it was unfortunate. And then like he's never really gotten going. And at the time, I mean I said this and maybe I was a little on a limb, but like I would have taken Kyle Lewis number one overall. I, I said that at the time. In 2016, um, that that I would have taken him with the number one overall pick, and you know it's funny. So far, it's not like that draft has really distinguished itself. I mean, if you look at the guys ahead of him, they, I'm looking at listen to this list. Mickey Moniac has has not lived up to expectations. Right,
0: I was just looking at this too.
1: And I'm looking at Nick Senzel. I still think Nick Senzel is going to be good. Like, I think he's going to probably be the best of these guys, but like he had an okay rookie year. I still think he'd be better than in the infield. And he keeps getting hurt. You I know, mean, Ian Anderson's got upside. Riley Pines really struggled in the minors. Corey Ray's really struggled in the minors. You know, AJ Pucks had Tommy John surgery. You know, we'll see, you know, can he be consistent and be a starter? Braxton Garrett, had Tommy John surgery, Cal Quantrill. I think the ceiling's lower than we expected at the time. Now. Um, Matt Manning, you know, the arrows pointing up and Zach Collins kind of looks to me like you're kind of backup catcher first base type. Um, so it's not a distinguished group and Jay Groom and Josh Lowe right behind him and Will Benson. I mean, <laughs> that's not a very good first 14 picks looking back in, in retrospect. Now, you know, I do like Forrest Whitley at 20 and Gavin Luck. I mean, Gavin Lux at 20 and Forrest Whitley at 17 Now Kirilov at 15. But anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. It's just crazy how that draft's played out. But I, I liked Kyle Lewis. I, I'm glad to see him having a success because it, it kind of stinks. Like we don't know how much that injury will have affected his career in the long run. He is already 24. Um, but, you know, this is a nice springboard for him to hopefully – you know, maybe make the Mariners next year. Now he is striking out a ton. He does have 18 strikeouts in 12 games. Um, so I think there's a – he's got a little of that Aristides-Aquino halo effect around him right now when he's hitting home runs every other game. Um, and we'll see if if pitchers adjust to him and, and start to exploit the holes. He, he's already striking out. But but I, I think encouraging is, is the right way to sum that one up, Jordan.
0: Yeah, and I think bringing up the, the 2016 round is, is... – is a good point because you know that's why it was so amazing and sure if you look at the numbers maybe he he you might have thought he was going to struggle but the fact that he even got to the big leagues as fast as he did considering how much time he missed is is pretty amazing um you know and and especially compared to the guys uh, ahead of him uh, i do want to hit one other uh with the with the Rockies of Colorado that's Sam Hilliard who you promised me before we we started recording that you were Mr. Sam Hilliard which is really now, I think what you by that is that you just know a lot about Sam Hilliard. Now, I, I just I don't know. I'm I'm curious. So please tell me about this, this this Mr. Sam Hilliard who has six homers in his first twenty-one games, which is now doesn't sound as good next to Kyle Lewis, but he's got an ops over a thousand and uh playing some 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 fun defense. So, uh what you got on Mr. Hilliard?
1: Yeah, he he's he's interested. He's been on my radar, you know, from our draft coverage going back to two thousand fourteen when the twins drafted him as a left hander. Out of Crowder Junior College in Missouri, you um, transferred to Wichita State. Had more success as a hitter, and the Rockies draft him there. And he's he's uh, he's he's really I guess but he, he's really fascinating to me because he, he's six five two thirty eight. That comes with a naturally long swing, and there are some strikeouts. But he's a really good athlete for that size. I mean, yes, he's got power. He's showing that off. He had 35 home runs with the jacked and ball in AAA. He played well in the fall league last year. Um, He's hit for power in the minors. I mean, their swing and miss has always been part of his game. But, I mean, he stole 22 bases this year in the minors. He's got solid to plus speed. He's got solid to plus arm. He could play all three outfield spots. He's a good right fielder. So, you know, I think the hit is more of kind of a, a fringy to average tool, but the rest of the game is solid to to plus. Um, And he's, he's a fascinating guy. Um, You know, having an athletic corner outfielder matters more in in course field probably than anywhere because of the size of the outfield. And, you know, so far, so good again, along with Kyle Lewis, he is striking out a decent amount. I think he's always going to strike out, but, you know, I think this could be a guy that, you know, if he, if he got regular at bats in course field, uh, you know, he might hit 25, you know, 30 home runs and steal 15 bases and, and, and play a pretty decent defense for you on the corner.
0: Yeah, I did not realize that he was uh, originally drafted as a pitcher. My fun fact is that uh, he uh, last week, uh, maybe you saw this when I when I tweeted this out, became the first. Uh, hitter to hit a home run off of Noah Syndergaard twice in one game. Wow, well, I did not in know that. Noah Syndergaard's career. And, and you know, the, the kicker there, which maybe you could figure out if you are already on his page, is that Hilliard and Syndergaard are from the same town in Texas of Mansfield. No so. way. How about that? Did they go to the school? They did not. They they, they they did not go to the same high school, although I, I Google mapped it, and it appears that the high schools are very nearby. So, And he's only a couple years younger than him, so it is possible that they have faced each other before. So there you go. See, so you learned something about Sam Hilliard also.
1: Wow, I like that fact. That, that is a cool... That is a cool fact.
0: There you go. All right. Always good when I can uh, teach Jim, Jim Cow something. It's a rare opportunity. Um, okay. Let us move to the Arizona Fall League, uh, and we're going to hit on three of the sleeper prospects mentioned in the uh, one for each team. Thirty AFL sleeper prospects article that is on LB pipeline. Uh, I believe it went up just just before I think uh, the fall league got started. Um, but uh, there's some some fun names on this list. Definitely not as many uh, uh first rounders uh, for sure. Obviously that would that would probably uh, exclude them from from sleeper status. Uh, so let's just I just want to hit three names here that you promised me you would give me drop some knowledge on. And let's begin at the very top of the list. The first guy mentioned here at the top of the LA section, right-handed pitcher named Jackson. Reese for the Toronto Blue Jays. So, what what in the world is is a Jackson Reese? Because he wasn't even he wasn't even drafted. So, how did he get to the fall league?
1: Yeah, it's crazy. You know, in in college and in, in junior college, he, he graduated from Hawaii in 2018, but he had only sporadic success. He had a history of injuries, didn't get picked, and the Jays saw something that that made him sign him for a thousand dollars, a non drafted free agent, and he's got a lot of action on his sinker and slider combination. And all he did this year between two levels of class a was, was post a 0.73 ERA and an 88 to 15 straight off the walk ratio in 62 innings uh, and held opponents to one eighty three opponent average. So I, you know, I'd be very curious to see how it plays in the, in the fall league. Um, obviously it's a small sample size. Uh, you know, it's, it's not necessarily going to be you know, definitive, you know, how he performs, but I'm, I'm very curious to see how Jackson Reese, you know, does in the fall league after seeing those those crazy numbers
0: in his pro debut last year. After signing, he had a, an ERA over ten in in twenty innings. So uh, clearly, they they straightened something out uh, coming into this season because he was, uh, as you mentioned, absolutely dominant. So
1: and in his in his well, I was going to say in his lone outing so far in the fall league, one perfect inning, two strikeouts.
0: Amazing, Jackson Reese. Hall of Fame class of 2046. Book it, folks. You should be there in Cooperstown for that induction. Also different than Nationals catching prospect Jackson
1: Reitz. Correct. Who I like coming out of Nebraska, right? Nebraska high school catcher. Yes, yes.
0: High school catchers. You know those guys always turn out well. All right, let's talk about another guy on this sleeper list. And we are going to go to uh, a, a hitter, I believe. A guy who was involved in a trade this past offseason, or, or sorry, last trade deadline, um, Cardinals outfielder Connor Cable, who you also mentioned before we start recording, you, you love Connor Cable. You loved him coming out of the draft. So what is there to love about Connor Cable?
1: Yeah, he was my one of my sleeper prospects in the 2016 draft. Um And wound up, you know, Indians took him and included him in that Oscar Mercado trade. He's the son of Mike Capel, who pitched in the big leagues and was one of four big league pitchers on Texas's 1983 College World Series championship team that was uh, headlined by Roger Clemens. Um, But yeah, I, I liked him. He's kind of described to me as a grinder with tools. He had plus speed, solid arm, solid defense, solid raw power. Um, you know, projectable bat, and and he just hasn't hit in the minor leagues yet. He um kind of has hovered around 240, 250. You can see flashes of the other tools. You know, I think he probably winds up Jordan being a fourth outfielder in the long run, but I still think he can be a big leaguer. You know, probably not going to give the Cardinals what Oscar Mercado has given the Indians this year, but but I do think he's a big leaguer.
0: Right, and he wasn't the only piece in that in that trade too. Uh, the Cardinals getting uh was it John John Torres, I believe the uh, the other. Uh, young outfielder so so you know there's there's still some some chance for a turn there because i know mercado has been uh playing a lot of uh, big league games but but some promising promising reports on mr cable as well uh one more uh, afl sleeper i wanted to ask about uh is uh an, another dodgers potential pop up prospect mr marshall kazowski let's 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 what 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 is what do we must what do we must know about Marshall Kozowski?
1: Well, he's interesting as a prospect, and it's an interesting backstory, too. He uh, he began his college career at Panola Junior College in Texas, and he transferred to Houston, the University of Houston. But before he ever pitched for the Cougars, he was rear-ended in a high-speed car accident, um, was hurt pretty badly, serious head injuries, gallbladder surgery, um, and barely pitched in the next two years at Houston. Um and so he was looking to get some exposure. He, at that point, he was, he was you know, rising senior. He went to Northwoods League, which is a maybe a lot of our listeners haven't heard of it, but it's kind of the probably best of the unheralded summer leagues. Um, was pitcher of the year there, and he decided to transfer to West Texas A&M, led NCAA Division II in strikeouts and strikeout rate, and became the highest pick in West Texas A&M history, signing for $125,000 as 13th rounder. And quick quiz, Jordan. Do you know the nickname of West Texas A&M? We're going to keep you on your toes here. I I don't, even though I, I am familiar with West Texas
0: A&M. I, I know that they are routinely uh, in the D2 top five, but I cannot pretend to know what the, uh, what the official mascot is. So
1: please enlighten us all. Okay, they are the buffs. So anyway, uh, Kosowski comes into pro ball, and, you know, after being a thir- uh, 13th-run pick in 2017, and he just, guys, do not touch him. In his first full pro season in 2018, he led all minor leaguers in whiffs, minor league relievers, with 111, while averaging 15.4 per nine innings. And, and this year, he had some, some minor injuries, only pitched 32 innings, but he struck out 51 batters and held opponents to 159 average. And he does this, Jordan, pretty much with one pitch. Um, he, he relies probably three quarters of the time on his fastball. It's 91, 97 miles an hour, which is good, not unbelievable velocity, but it's got incredible life. It's one of those optical illusion fastballs where it seems like it's rising at the plate and guys just have trouble picking it up because he has kind of a straight over the top delivery, kind of like Josh Coleman used to. And so like, you don't see it. It seems like the ball's coming out of his ear and then it seems like it jumps at the plate. And so, uh, you know, I think we'll see him in the big leagues at some point next year um, to see if this if it plays like it did in the minor leagues, but his fastball has just been one of these invisible fastballs that guys just do not touch.
0: Right. That's crazy. he He might fit somehow into the funky righty uh, category. I feel like the the some of those fastballs, like the the ghost ball, uh some some would like to to refer to uh, you know josh Hader. obviously he throws really hard but he's got one uh colin Pochet is another one with like lesser velocity where it's like how is he getting so many whiffs um so yeah so that's that's interesting all right marshall kazowski know the name dodgers fans i know you have a lot of good baseball players to keep track of um but he could very well uh be the next one the the wex texas a&m buff legend there you go marshall kazowski Uh, all right before we get out jim uh we, we want to tee up this interview uh that our good friend jonathan mayo did with Forrest Whitley, top Astros pitching prospect, one of the top pitching prospects in all baseball, who is down uh, in the Arizona Fall League right now. Uh, and uh, while we will hear uh, Jonathan doing the interview, um, just wanted to get uh, your thoughts on, on what has been a very weird year for Mr. Forrest Whitley as he returns to the Arizona Fall League where uh, he was last year. So uh, any any quick thoughts on Whitley before we hear from the man himself?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's I mean, it's really been two weird years for Forrest Whitley because I think in in between the – last 2 years i think he's pitched something like 80 innings total um <laughs> uh during the regular season you know in 2018 you know he he had the the, the drug suspension he got hit in february so he missed the first 50 games of the season he had minor lat and oblique injuries and then this year he got off to a horrible start with an RA over 12 in AAA. Then he got shut down with shoulder fatigue and he tried to change his mechanics and he really had trouble throwing strikes all year. But, you know, you still, I mean, there aren't many guys with better stuff than him, you know, majors or minors. it's it, He can show you 93, 98 mile an hour fastball with, with natural cut and sink, power curveball, power slider that he could turn into a, a distinct cutter and a devastating changeup. Um, and it's just, it's, it's crazy because Going into 2018, you would have figured, you know what, like he went, he was in double A as a pitcher in his first full professional season out of high school, which almost never happens. I know like in the last 20 years, it was him, Zach Reinke, um, I think Clayton Kershaw, uh, Dylan Bundy, and um, I think um, there was one more pitcher with the Dodgers, in any case there's only four guys, so like you know, just very rare. So you figured, okay, go ahead. by the end of. If he did that in 2017, by the end of 2018, he'll probably be pitching in the playoffs for defending World Series champion Astros. Um, it was Chad Billingsley was the other guy who, whose name was escaping me. Um, and he, said so he had the weird journeys in the fall league and he looked great. I mean, if I don't you were down there last year, weren't you Jordan? Did you get to see him pitch?
0: I don't, I don't think I got to see him pitch, but I, I was down there. I think I, I think I missed him throwing, but uh, he was down there. I mean, okay, he, Well, he led
1: the league in strikeouts and he, and he looked great. Yeah.
0: He was great last year.
1: Yeah. You know, first time out, he was dominant. He was just dominant. He looked great the whole time. So same thing watching him. You're like, this guy's going to probably make their opening day roster and even if they play service time issues, like this guy's going to be a major factor in October for him. And he, and he went out and had the weird year again. Now, we'll, we'll let the interview with, with Jonathan and Forrest talk for itself. But I will say, um, yeah, it, it struck me last year that when you asked Forrest questions about the adversity, some of which he had brought on himself, he was very open. And I, I thought his answer, you know, he's very mature in answering those questions. And, and that was my, my takeaway. From listening to Jonathan's uh, interview with him this year as well, so uh, you know, very interesting. I, I think he's trying to look at, you know, would he rather be in the playoffs? Yes, but he's he's going to look at the Arizona Fall League as a positive.
0: Plenty of time for uh, for Houston to to uh, to to, to kind of get him on the right track, and and they they could, you know, this year they they don't really need him. They're the best team in baseball, and they have you know two of the best pitchers in in, in the league. But you know, Garrett Cole's going to be a free agent this year, um, and and they're going to. Uh, maybe, maybe I know Wade Miley is on a winner. So, so they, they might need the innings next year. Um, so that could be uh, the time when Forrest Whitley is, is dependent on a little bit more, but uh, we'll send it to that interview with Mr. Whitley uh, and our good friend, Jonathan Mayo. Forrest, um, if someone had told me at the end of last year's
2: fall league that I'd be standing here talking to you again, I would be like, no, you, you can be in the big leagues. Are you, are you a little, I, I guess maybe disappointed you know, in some ways, just with how the year went, with
3: that the fact that you're here again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the year didn't go the way that I'd planned it, uh, and I would have thought the exact same thing. You know, out of the crop of guys that I played with last year, I thought I would have, you know, been one of the first guys up. But you know, baseball's a humbling game. It's the way that it goes, and uh, just kind of gotta adapt to the position that I'm in right now. So, right now, I just need to come out and have a strong fall league to kind of propel me into 2020.
2: Knowing what this league can do, and, and, and you know, not only for what it did for you, but seeing other players, was it nice knowing, like, OK, thing, things went sideways for me, but man, I'm so happy to be able to come and, and get some extra innings that I missed and, and get that, that work in and, and hopefully get back on track?
3: Yeah, I mean, last year's experience here in the Fall League was really good. I had a really good time, met a lot of new people. Um, you know, I expect this go around to be no different. Um, it's a really fun place to pitch, get to know new people. Um, and like I said, just, you know, hopefully, you know, get the innings that I need, get the work in that I need, uh, and kind of carry that momentum into 2020.
2: Don't want to dwell too much on the year, but I mean, I guess the simple question is, what happened? Obviously, you had the injury early on, and then you just you didn't seem, at least from afar, to ever kind of get get the, the feel that we've grown accustomed to you having on the mound.
3: Yeah, you know, I was making a lot of changes mechanically. Um, it was really poor timing on my part, um, just, uh, you know, being the year that I, you know, could have broken with the team, been with the been with the big league club sometime during the year, um, but you know, it's it's all for the better of my career. Just uh, going forward, working on a couple of those mechanical things. So like that that kind of made me fall into trouble with you know getting behind guys, walking guys. I walked a lot of guys this year, and that's where I fell into trouble. Um, but I'm getting a lot more comfortable with the the newer delivery. Um, throwing a lot more strikes uh, as of late, bullpens have been really solid lately. So um, I like the direction that I'm going uh, with the with the new delivery, and I think it'll uh, benefit me going forward.
2: Take me through a little bit some of those changes. You know, what are you doing now, delivery wise, differently than than what you were doing? You know, because the easy thing would have been like, you know, boy, I dominated in the folly. Why would I? Why would I change anything?
3: Yeah. So the reason I changed it was like that shoulder injury was the was the big thing. It was it was minor, but you know those things can kind of linger on for a little bit. So the big thing was. Uh, I was really like rear and back a lot in my delivery. So now I'm trying to like maintain posture of my upper body throughout the delivery. And it sounds really simple, but I've been doing that kind of that same delivery cue for almost my entire life. Um, so to change that, those like seven years of muscle memory and to go into one season and try to have success, it, it, it wasn't easy. But um, it's, I'm getting more and more reps every day. So uh, it's a lot better now. And I'm looking forward to implementing the game tonight.
2: So, you know, if things had gone perfectly well, maybe you'd be preparing for the playoffs. How much fun will it be for you to get your work in here and watch those guys in Houston, knowing that they're building something that looks like it's going to last a long time? And so it didn't happen this year, but 2020, you know, if things go the right way for you, you're going to be right back where you thought you would be.
3: Yeah, you know, it stinks that I'm not there right now, you know, enjoying the playoff run with, you know, one of the most historically good teams uh, of all time. Um, but, you know, it's it's a, it's a tough feeling, but it's also it's also a good opportunity to know that, you know, you're still in a good position even next year to, to be on that team and to, to be a part of what's going on up there. So, uh, you know, I'm just really excited for, for the opportunity and what's to come in 2020.
2: You got to work with them a little bit in the spring, but like to watch Verlander and Cole in particular go one, two, and just seems that they – consistently one up themselves almost uh, as a as a right-handed power pitcher seeing what they do i mean i would imagine you're chomping at the bit to be able to be be the guy who gets the ball after those two go
3: yeah for sure i mean those two guys are just you know something else say everybody can everybody sees that uh and I try to learn, you know, everything I could in spring training from them, but like they're just—they're so in their own world. I'd like—it's—it's it's really hard to to kind of implement what they do because it's just so different. Uh, I like to call them aliens. You know, they're crazy. They just they, they do their own thing, but it works for them. So you know, I—I t- I took everything with, that they said with a grain of salt. Um, it's all really valuable knowledge, of course, but um, for me, it's—it's it's really important to kind of like stick to my own process. And this year has been obviously not great. So I've been able to kind of hone, hone in what really works and what really doesn't. Um, so although I struggled this year, it was probably the best thing for me to kind of experience these like real, uh, you know, kind of in performance struggles that I haven't had my entire career. So it helped me kind of develop a process that I know works for me and that I like really, truly believe in. So obviously what they, you know, told me and everything they do is very valuable but for me it's more important to kind of develop it on my own
0: great for us thanks very much thank you uh jim thank you so much uh, for joining me on this wonderful edition of the mlb pipeline podcast for jim i am your host jordan schusterman and we will talk to you next week